and welcome to the first Industry 4.0 Community Podcast of 2023, uh, put on by 4.0 Solutions. I'm your host, Walker D. Reynolds. The host with the most today is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. Happy New Year to everyone. It is good to be back. As y'all may have noticed, I think we missed two weeks. I think we didn't do a podcast for two weeks. Um, we have a very, I mean, this should probably be, this This podcast will be a great way to start off the year. Um, you know, reinforce, reinforce my enemy status of Gartner. <laughs> um, that is, I am their enemy. I, I don't see Gartner as my enemy, but um, they're certainly not going to be happy with me today. And Gartner is not a company that is a fan of uh, a critique or, um, you know, any critical analysis of their of of what they provide um, the market. Fortunately, I have fuck you money, so uh, Gartner has no sway over me, um, and uh, I think they're full of shit anyway. So <laughs> I don't need them um, at all. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't think Gartner provides some value to the market, but I think they do honestly more harm than good. And I'm going to go ahead and explain that in today's podcast. Uh, we're also going to touch on, you know, the overall theme of today's podcast is going to be um, the importance of communication and definitions. Okay. That's going to be the overall theme. I'm going to kind of hit on three, three elements, Gartner being one of them. Um, but before we we uh, we do that, I, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about you know what I did over the the um, the last two weeks of the year, um, and I want to quickly remind everyone you know kind of really what's what's important. So uh, uh, real quick announcements before I get yelled at. Um, Mentorship call um, Friday, January 13th. So for those of you who are in mentorship, the next mentorship call is next Friday, January 13th at nine o'clock central time. And the next mastermind call is Friday, January 20th at 8 a.m. Two other um, announcements. Um, in both of those sessions, we're going to be announcing a new approach to mentorship and mastermind, a new focus for 2023 where the two programs, so mentorship where is where we are training engineers how to support digital transformation initiatives, do the actual technical development centered around unified namespace and the, you know, the pillars of IoT protocols and digital transformation. Um, and then Mastermind is where we were really teaching executives and architects how to lead, strategize, and architect those digital transformation initiatives. A lot of times, and I, I think those of you who have been in the programs, I think we've been doing, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I, I could be wrong here, but I, I'm fairly certain we're 15, 16 months in with Mastermind, right? Cheryl or uh, Josh, we put it in the comments or Cheryl, somebody comment how long we've been doing this. Are, are we going on our third year or was last year the first? I'm sorry, the years run into each other. Anyway, we've been doing this for a while. We have hundreds of people in the program. I think we have 400 or so in mentorship, paid members in mentorship, and we have 120 in mastermind. This will be the first time going forward this year where the curriculum for the two programs are actually going to be in sync. We're going to be using the mastermind sessions to specify functional capabilities that we're going to build in the mentorship sessions. So we're going to approach mastermind and mentorship as um two halves of the same whole okay um so and we'll be talking about that in these sessions uh for those of you who were in mes boot camp there's some follow-up documentation some final um uh gateway da database backups um code pushes that uh will be taken care of between now and um the mentorship call on january 13th that'll be pushed uh we are um finishing up step two. That's the reason that we haven't pushed the bootcamp stuff. And, and step two is going to be released uh, shortly as well. Um, for those of you who are in mentorship mastermind, you know, the date by which we have committed to deliver it. 
Cheryl has asked me not to mention the date again in this in the podcast, uh, although we will hit that date. Um, and uh, for those of you who are in mastermind and mentorship, we'll have new calendar schedules for the first quarter sent out um, this week. Okay. All right. Back to the last two weeks. Uh, you know, for those, I don't know if you guys watched the the Buffalo Bills Cincinnati Bengals game last night. Um, but uh, Devin, I think it's Devin Hamlin. He's a safety for the Bills. Took a took a shot to the chest. Or took a helmet to the chest. Um, and uh, went into cardiac arrest. They had to do CPR on him on the field. Um, they transported him to the uh to a trauma one care center and he's intubated and in critical condition they probably lowered his body temperature he'll probably be intubated for the next five days and they're probably looking to see you know was his heart did his heart stop so long that his brain he has brain damage long term um in the wake of that incident obviously the his co-workers his teammates his colleagues were fucking devastated i mean i've been watching football I grew up on football. I've been a football fan since basically 1979. I played football all through the 80s and the early 90s. I loved the game. I coached football with my kid. I was a coach for my kids. In the end, I ultimately um, stopped having my kids play football because of the risk of head injuries. Once I, there were three main studies I ultimately read that said, you know, there's basically a direct correlation between performance on the football field and you know, future head injuries. So I, as a parent, we made that I made the decision that my kids wouldn't play. That doesn't mean I don't love the game though. And uh, if you look at his, his teammates, his colleagues, his coworkers, and the opposing players, I mean, they were devastated. De I mean, grown men, toughest men on earth brought to tears. Um, it's being reported this morning that the NFL, um, basically told you know they told joe buck and troy aikman in the booth the producers they told um the coaches on the field the officials that the teams were going to have five minutes to warm up before they resume the game okay um it's becoming obviously clear that the nfl wanted to resume the game and um the coaches made the decision not to they met midfield and then they walked their teams off the field and then it looks like the NFL made the decision because the players and the coaches rebelled um, that they wouldn't play. And then Troy Vincent, who played for the Miami Dolphins, came out this morning and said, you know, I don't know where that that came from. You know, we never said the game was going to resume in five minutes. Unfortunately, the the front office of the NFL doesn't have a whole lot of credibility around telling the truth. So. Um, when you look at all the facts, it looks like it's probably true. What's being reported that the NFL wanted to resume the game and the coaches and the players made the decision not to, not to continue. It may turn out that there's the truth is somewhere in the middle there, but my point here will still stand. Um, you know, we take, I try to take the last two weeks of the year off, uh, every year. I try to take off the week of Thanksgiving. I try to take the week of 4th of July. And we try to give that to our team as well. And in fact, we encourage our team when we, when we get to the holidays, to those additional weeks, we try to encourage our team to not do any work during those. I know that when I was in, an engineer, engineering full-time, I used to, uh, I, I would spend my holidays working. I would, I'd, I'd spend my holidays catching up because I always had more work than I could get done in weeks. And so I'd, you know, I'd, maybe I'd work less, but it still worked. And later on, I, I realized, you know, the the most important commodity that we have is time. Um, it's not our health. Um, it's not our family. It's not our friends. It's not, although they're all important, time is the most valuable commodity in our lives. And so while I love to work hard, and I do, um, and I'm never going to retire. I'm going to work until the day I keel over and die. Uh, what I do is I like, I, I, I like to retire for short periods while I'm young and virile. And I want my team to do the same thing. And so I, I, we did a post 
uh, right before New Year's, um, after Christmas, when we got back, I took my family on a Christmas cruise, um, which was like our new tradition post-divorce type thing. Um, and then when I got back, I, you know, I wanted to let the community know where the hell have we been? Well, where we've been is insisting that our team take time to be with their families. That's where we've been. Um, and last week I just spent the, the week with my kids and doing stuff around the house. Uh, but anyway, this was the, the post. Intellic integration and 4.0 solutions are closed this week. You may have noticed we haven't been posting much content the last 10 days or so. That's because we insist our team take time with their families to end the year. In addition to the 11 paid holidays and three weeks of paying time off and vacation time that we take each year, we try to take up the three additional weeks to be with our families. July 4th week, Thanksgiving week, and Christmas week. Uh, and that's actually paid for by the company. Those are three additional weeks in addition to the normal time. We don't always get to take them. Sometimes we take one. We don't take two of them. It really, you know, obviously we're not, we can't let our clients down. But if our project managers and our account managers do an effective job of scheduling for this, we, we're able to give this time to, to the team. And we generally do. Um, so in honor of this tradition, I want to take a moment to remind the community about what is most important. It's the corporation you will serve the longest with, your family at home, our values, our mission, our pillars, our support, our accountability, our love. It all starts at home. I'm fortunate to have a biological family and an adopted family. So I have nine brothers and sisters. I have two dads, two moms. <clears throat> I only have one living dad. Both my moms are gone and my biological father's gone. And I have four children. I've got a million nieces and nephews, cousins, uncles, and aunts. And I'm grateful for them all. I'm especially grateful for the fact that two of my sons, Josh and Jared, um, work alongside me at 4.0 Solutions. This past week, I was honored to take my family and some extended family on a cruise for Christmas. We spent all week in fellowship together, being thankful for the challenges, the failures, the lessons, the victories, and the love we have for one another in service of something much bigger than ourselves. Common values, common mission, one foundation, one family makes all that possible. At work, at home, we are the same. Thank you to all of those who make this possible, our team, our community, our families. I love you all. See you next week when our podcast and content will resume. Until then, take time to recharge and love the most important corporation of all, your family at home. Blessings, Walker. Now, the reason I use the term, I've been using this term more, that you're the most important corporation you're a member of is your family. Um, and, and here's why I use that term. Um, I operate my company like it's a corporation my, or my family like it's a corporation. And I treat each person in the company as if they're in the family as if they're a division in that corporation. Um, and they're the head of their division. But the one thing that that corporation has in common is the common values and mission that we have as a family. Right. That that's the foundation upon which we build. Um, we are definitely not a family who says that you know, people, you know, each person has their own truth, you know, that that's your personal truth. We, we, we definitely are not a family that says, you know, you can create your own moral code, your own values and still be a member of this family. We don't do that. It's the family values. It's not the personal values. You have agency. You can choose to not want to be a part of those values, but that also means that you can't be part of the team. It's just like when you work for a company, it's the same thing. If I, if I go into a company, I say, Hey, I don't, you know, I don't believe in what this company stands for. Then, you know, you'll always be, uh, an ex employee, someone who was here and we would have valued your time here, but you, you don't belong here anymore because you're just going to take down what it is we're trying to achieve. The reason I bring this up is, you know, you guys may hear me say all the time that we're always work. We're always at work and we're always at home. And in the beginning of my career, one of the things that really stood out to me that, um, and I think this is common amongst other Gen Xers, is how cold and uncaring and, and inhumane and impersonal uh, work seemed to be. It, it, the companies that I worked for, you know, they used to talk about family, but they didn't act like family. Right. Um, when push came to shove, they didn't seem to really care 
early on in my career. But I saw that transform. I saw that starting to change during the second half of when I worked for other companies. And when I worked for integrators, the first integrator I worked for, which was Integrity Integration Resources in Plano, I squared R, they, they really lived like family, right? They, you know, it was, it was common values, faith-based. And it was the first time that I really saw it like up close and personal, like, holy shit, you could really run a company. You can run a business like family. Okay. It takes a, it takes a strong leader, but you can do it just like in a, in a, in a family, you need strong leadership in a family as well. You need a strong patriarch, strong, matri strong matriarch. And at that time was when I started to realize the importance of the core values you have at home. I, I already knew this, but I never articulated it. That the core values you have at home align with the core values that you live by at work. So that means go find a company that believes the things you believe, right? Um, which brings me to this NFL story, brings me to a couple other things, but I want to talk about this NFL story. The NFL does not give a shit about its players. And if I, I clearly, it does not care about its players. And I think it's appalling that the the NFL doesn't prioritize the health and well-being of the human beings. Um, you know, servant leadership, which is one of our core values, is delivering for someone in spite of someone, putting the best interests of those you lead first. You ask them in return to put the best interests of the mission, the values, and the company above themselves. And then it's incumbent upon leadership to put the best interest of the individuals, the rank and file, the people that report to you, the people who are following you, their best interest above your own as a leader. I see this in when we're, when we're deciding to work with companies, when we're making a choice to work with companies, we are vetting based on that criteria. Okay. And, and I, I, I there's a story I'll tell. I, I told it before about this company, this paper company that clearly just did not give a fuck about its employees at all. They saw them as a number, did not give a shit, didn't care about them as human beings at all. And we just decided not to work with them at all. We ended, decided to terminate the project. And so what I want to stress, what I want to stress, I want to, in 2023, 2023, I want to encourage everyone who in, uh, who's a member of this community who helps us to have a positive impact on the world to help, manufacturers um, digitally transform and help and save and create middle-class jobs. Remember that what we're doing is about people. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're doing here is about people. At home, it's about the people you lead. At work, it's about the people you lead. It's about the clients you serve. It's about the consumers who buy from the clients you serve. It's about their families. Remember, it's about people. And that will become even more critical as we move closer and closer to the fifth industrial revolution. Okay. And I want to make sure we started the year off with that, that our focus this year and the thing you're going to hear me say over and over and over again, it's about people. Okay. And uh, it'll it, it, some of this should come into focus here in uh, just a minute. I want to touch on something real quick. You know, Tesla's stock is you know, taking a nosedive, right? <clears throat> and somebody reached out to me and said, hey, you know, are you scared about Tesla? And I said, no, not at all. In fact, I've bought more, a lot more. I just keep, I'm buying it up at, at a re reduced price. And they asked me why. And I said, well, it's really quite simple. Um, you know, Tesla is so far ahead of the competition. Um, and the market just doesn't know it. Um, most of the downward pressure we're seeing right now is just the market being finicky and some of its institutional investors punishing them for governance, you know, because of what Elon's doing at Twitter, which by the way, I think is a good thing. I don't think Elon's done anything wrong at Twitter. I think he got rid of the dead weight. I think he made the company transparent and I think he restored trust with the public over the way Twitter was operating and informed the rest of the public just how much they're being manipulated with information, communication, and definition, which I'm going to talk about today. Okay. Um, but 
from a fundamental perspective, I had this conversation at the gym yesterday with a couple of ladies. I think her, one of the ladies' husbands was an engineer and she really spoke the language. Um, I have full self-driving beta on my Tesla now and I've been using it all over Dallas. So that is, I'm put in the address I'm going to, I click the little full self-driving directional button. And then when I go ahead and start autopilot, the car just drives itself, changes lanes. It turns at all the intersections and I've been testing it everywhere. Interesting thing, Tesla's insurance, which I have, my insurance rate's gone down because I've been using FSD almost exclusively. I've been letting the car do the driving. So not instead of me, Walker, doing the driving, I'm letting the car do the driving. And I'm just sort of along for the ride. And here, in, and I've been using it now for 10 days or so because I didn't get the beta until maybe 10 days ago. And um, although I've had full self-driving on autopilot um, or enhanced autopilot, I've had that for six months or whatever. Um, no other car, no other car manufacturer has FSD like Tesla does. And the FSD beta is fucking incredible. I mean, there's just no way around it. Even, even the most complicated intersections where, or, or where the, the lines on the road aren't painted that well, as long as there's a hint, it is incredible how well FSD beta operates. And we are so close. I mean, we're maybe 12 months, 18 months away, 24 months away from all Tesla owners being able to um, essentially lease out their cars to to drive other people other places. I mean, in terms of technically technical capability, which is incredible. I mean, and no one else is there. Moreover, Tesla makes more profit per vehicle than any other car company on earth. In fact, actually, in fact, they make more profit per vehicle than any, any car company has since the seventies. Okay. Um, number three, Giga factory. They have a head start on Giga isn't designed to make cars. It's designed to make anything and it's fully integrated and they have the head start on microgrid. And for those we'll talk about microgrid later in the year. Um, Tesla's integration with solar. So the fact that they have Tesla solar with the power wall plus the so they they're not they're not just doing um, power transmission, but they're doing power generation. From homes. OK. But the big thing is, and here's why Tesla is so valuable. It's and it's not just the I'm going to stay away from the integration piece because we talk about this. They're full stack integrated top to bottom one ecosystem. OK, from suppliers all the way to consumer. They're, they're, they're a fucking decade ahead of everyone. Okay. Tesla has the most valuable IOT sensor in the world. And they have, I don't know if they've got millions of them or whatever, but they've got the most valuable IOT sensor in the world. I don't know how many Teslas are on the road. Josh, look that up. How many Teslas are on the road? Um, and that collects data 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Tesla's integrated to it and they store the data. So from cameras, from um, accelerometers, um, from microphones, um, 2.65 million. So they got 2.65 million IoT sensors on the road right now. Fundamental difference between what Tesla does with their vehicles and all the other manufacturers do is Tesla is connected to the car 24-7. They're not scheduling over-the-air updates. They schedule. You can schedule downloads, but they're connected to the car 24-7. So um, as opposed to, you know, calling into a dial-up modem at a specific time during the day, downloading all the data, and then analyzing it offline, they're connected while you're on the road, while you're driving while you're parked and all that data is stored it's it's literally the most valuable iot sensor on the planet and the data that te tesla collects is the most valuable commodity they have they use that data to create much many other valuable things okay like they use that data to create fsd full self-driving 
they're going to use that data to create an application on top of full self-driving that's going to allow you to lease your vehicle out so that people are going to be able to have a Tesla drive them somewhere. Okay. Tesla's so far ahead of everybody. And so all this noise around Tesla, it's just that it's noise. It's, 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 it's either people unintentionally or intentionally trying to misinform. I don't want to use misinformation. I hate that word. Uh, exactly. Annabelle Tesla can sell data to cities about where to focus their resources on what roads to maintain. Let's take it one step further. Tesla can sell data to the cities to uh, tell them where to build roads and where to tear roads down. Okay. So when it comes to the civil engineering component, but I want to see this Missy Cummings, um, Missy Cummings uh, on LinkedIn. I don't know who she is, but she it's robot robotics and artificial intelligence. She says, but you go look her up. Missy Cummings. She said, I want to address Adam Kovacevic's recent article. And she links it in this post. And she says, you know, he is so wrong on so many levels. The only thing holding back self-driving car widespread deployment is the inability of companies to effectively deploy safe software that can perform consistently and cope with everyday uncertainty. All companies can deploy 2,500 self-driving cars on the road today. They are struggling to get to even 10%. And, and Missy's wrong here. Not all companies can because they don't have the technological infrastructure to do so. If you look at the way that Tesla collects data, I was explaining this to a guy I went on the cruise with. The fundamental difference between the way Tesla collects data on their cars and a Ford does. Okay. Th that is the protocols they're using. So CAN bus and ECM on the Ford side. Okay. Where with edge driven IOT protocols on the MQTT side. So each sensor on the car is essentially a node with its own brain. And, and it communicates into infrastructure on a Tesla. On a Ford, you have a, a master control module that turns on the ground and collects the data from the sensor in a pole response mechanism, okay? Ford doesn't have the infrastructure, the technical infrastructure on their vehicles to achieve the performance of full self-driving that Tesla has. Now, the reason I pick on Ford is because I and I and I pick on GM and I can pick on a lot of people. I think Volvo's ahead of the game and Volkswagen is clearly ahead of the game. Okay. Volkswagen's the is of all the legacy manufacturers, they're ahead of everybody. Okay. But they're still not at Tesla's level. She's wrong there. Not everybody can deploy safe and reliable. Tesla can, and it started with right strategy, right technology, right partners. Fully integrated partners was their focus, by the way. So she says, when one company can get to 1,250 deployed self-driving vehicles with no serious injuries or fatalities per the NHTSA's SGO, and that company is not causing mayhem across the city when those cars inevitably break down, that will be the time to push to start pushing for more exemptions. There are many reasons to be concerned about China, but using China baiting to push an ill-informed self-driving car agenda only significantly undermines our ability to address real issues on the international stage. People in Pennsylvania and insurance companies and lawyers need to watch the NHTSA, ADS, SGO results carefully. It is a look into their future. I can tell you this. Most of the people who read that don't drive a Tesla that has full self-driving. I have one. Okay. And I, and I know a lot and I'm a member of Tesla clubs and I talked to lots of Tesla owners. What is being communicated here does not line up with the experience I have had or the, the conversations I have with the people who, who drive Teslas. So I make my decision based on that information and I don't allow her to gaslight me. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't allow her to tell me that what I'm experiencing is not true. Okay. Um, all right. Which brings me to the second point, which has to do with, uh, information communication definition. So Luke Small, who we've interviewed here before, um, who I have immense respect for. So I don't want anyone to take anything I say here as like, I don't think Luke knows what he's doing or, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Luke. And Luke and I agree, we're, if you were, we were create a Venn diagram of our, our strategies and beliefs and values and stuff, we're probably, I'd say 90% congruent. I put a bigger premium on the importance of getting technology right than Luke does. And I would say that's probably the only difference. 
you know, we're both human focused. We're, you know, we both believe digital transformation about human, but he, he, he had a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago where he said, is it just me or is industry 4.0 too focused on technology? For me, the fourth industrial revolution, AKA the digital transformation of manufacturing will happen at the intersection of disruptive tech and market trends. So what he's arguing is that market, the market will drive what we do with the disruptive tech. That's what he's arguing. Okay. Some of which themselves come from tech. Industry 4.0 in its current form will provide the tech and then we'll have to look at each industry vertical individually to track the prevailing market trends. You can then map digital transformation use cases at the intersection of each. Simple. As a thought experiment a year ago, I mapped automotive under a few headings from each category. And in July this year, BMW proved me right in at least one intersection when they announced their automated driving in-plant AFW project. Where else do you think I hit the mark or was way off in my thought experiment? Now, I I commented on this, so let me go to it. So I, um, and I said, you know, technology-centric is important and foundational. Um, it all starts with the art of the possible, a new series that we've been working on since August. Iterations, use cases extend from the art of the possible, and I suspect market trends will certainly drive some choices. I do think it's important to note that Industry 4.0 is yielding the highest returns at the intersection of automating business decisions while making data the primary commodity in any organization. And what I'm saying is, is that foundationally, from a strategic perspective, what we're doing is with, with the, this technical infrastructure we create, where digital data becomes our primary commodity, we are automating business decisions. Things like we're automating the scanning of a, of a barcode. We're automating the decision on how to adjust the schedule so that we maximize the raw materials that we have in house, our changeover times, right? We're automating business decisions, but we have to start with the right strategy and the right technology and the right partners. We have to start with the strategy and the technical infrastructure. What I'm saying is, is that if you look at where most companies are yielding the highest returns, it's not in the places where they thought they would. In fact, we, we make this argument all the time that when you start your digital transformation engagement, that first digital transformation iteration, that first 12, month, 12 weeks where we're putting in the infrastructure, creating a unified namespace, we're aggregating all of our data, we're using edge-driven report by exception lightweight, and then we're building some solution. We're solving a business problem on top of that. If you were to ask the organization, give me the 10 things you think we're going to do over the next three years, they're not going to do nine of them. Because at the end of the first 12 weeks, just through by virtue of automating business decisions, we learned more about the company through our digital data. And we realized what we thought are our problems are not our problems. The same thing happens in the market. When I, what's amazing thing to me, what is amazing to me is that when, if you were to ask people 10 years ago, how important would it be for your car to be able to drive itself? The vast majority of people in the market are going to say, I don't want full self-driving. I don't trust a car to drive me. Okay. If we allowed the market to dictate that, that choice, we probably don't develop full self-driving. If you allowed the market to dictate electrical cars, we wouldn't have had it either. It took transformative leadership from Elon Musk to say, hey, we, are, we have a bigger goal here of sustainability for humanity. And one of those steps is electric vehicles. Now, everyone's going to argue, hell, you know, the mining process and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It, it, all that's true. You're front ending, you're, you're, you're front loading the carbon footprint on an electrical vehicle but you're still carbon neutral by 60,000 miles and you're never carbon neutral in an internal combustion engine. Okay. So the point is, is that it took transformative leadership, not market demand for Tesla to make the decisions they made. Okay. So what I finished with was I do, um, innovation advances exponentially, which is why those who are late to the game are struggling to st even stay on the field. I'm talking to you, Target, Walmart, GM, and Ford. Earlier this week, I used AI to create from scratch 
a 60 second video from 21 video clips and five still images. It took 30 seconds to create the perfect video, one that would have taken an editor hours or days. Data as a primary commodity made that possible. Okay. I didn't know that I needed artificial intelligence to edit a video for me. What happened was by opting into a digital infrastructure, that became a possibility I wasn't aware of. Okay. And so, yes, is the technology important? You bet your ass it is, which is going to bring me to this, this piece here. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking slay Gartner. Okay. And uh, once and for all, I'm going to try and do it in a clip that will <laughs> go out to the rest of the world. Gartner will call and try to sue me for slander or whatever, because I think Gartner McKinsey, um, I, I think those companies do a vast disservice to digital transformation. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't think they provide no value in the market, but as it relates to industry 4.0 and digital transformation, if you want to know who we should blame for the miscommunication in the market, that is the lack of understanding that manufacturers have about the value of digital transformation, you start with companies like Gartner. You start with Microsoft. You start with Rockwell. Okay. You start with Siemens. Now Siemens has tried to make up, make up for it. Microsoft is trying to make up for it. Okay. Microsoft has moved away from the concept that the Microsoft ecosystem will be the ecosystem for your digital infrastructure. And they're they move they're moving towards um, will be a big part of that in infrastructure, but we're not going to be all of it. Okay, uh, which was the key mistake that that Microsoft made, and we can thank Amazon AWS for driving that change. Okay, um, so let's talk about the Gartner Magic Quadrant. I'm I'm actually going to talk about why it is every time a Magic Quadrant comes out, you should fucking ignore it. Okay. The problem is I was under the assumption, like John Forbord, who I'm going to talk about here in a second, I was under the assumption that nobody really took Gartner seriously. I, I knew executives did. You know what I mean? But I mean, in my experience, I talked to lots of executives. They have no idea what they're doing. The, the You know the transformative leader when you walk in the room. Okay? The Peter principle is true. Okay? The, everyone elevates to the level of their own incompetence. And I see more incompetent leadership in the boardroom than I do than I see anywhere else in organizations. And I'm happy to bring any executive on here who wants to defend and, and make the argument that 80 to 90% of executive leadership in the United States, especially in the manufacturing sector, are fucking competent. I, I, I would bring anybody on here who can defend it. I'll give them 15 minutes totally uninterrupted. I'll give them 30 minutes uninterrupted. And I'll give them all, let them use the rope they, they want to hang themselves and then I'll take it home at the end. I've seen more incompetent leadership at the executive level. So I don't take executives seriously either. Um, I take transformative executives seriously. It's the one or two people in the room who really get it, who really get it. Okay. And they're focused on getting the votes, but let's talk about who Gartner is. Okay. And then we'll talk about the magic quadrant and then I'm going to take it home with, another problem with communication in our, our market. But, um, and thank you for Cheryl for doing the background of Gartner. Uh, so Gideon Carter founded Gartner in 1979. Uh, it was originally a private company. It launched publicly as Gartner Group in 86 before Saatchi and Saatchi acquired it in 1988. And I think they're based in Connecticut or New York or something. They're, a, you know, they're a, near their financial center. In 1990, Gartner Group was acquired by some of its executives, including Gartner himself, with funding from Bain Capital and Dun & Bradstreet. The company went public again in 1993, and in 2000, the name was simplified from Gartner Group to Gartner. All right. So what Gartner says that they do is that they deliver actionable, objective insight to executives and their teams. The problem I have with that statement is they do deliver actionable insight to executives and their teams, but it's not fucking objective. You are misrepresenting what it is you actually do. Okay. It is not objective and it's not unbiased. 
vendors play the game to convince you to buy their shit. Okay. Guess who's not playing the game with Gartner? Inductive automation. Okay. And anybody who's played with the ignition platform, fuck, let's use Tatsoft and frameworks as another example, although they're not big enough for me to make that argument in terms of just market share. But you can't argue with inductive automation's market share. Inductive automation right now is the single most valuable IoT company on the planet. And every venture capital group with any amount of capital wants to buy them so fucking bad they can taste it. I have a dozen venture capital groups who have reached just another one when they found out, just another company when they found out Colby Clegg is now in charge at inductive automation, reached out to me again and said, Hey, can you get us the introduction? We really want to be, we want to in, in, induct in, infuse a shit ton of cash, right? There's a dozen of those companies, literally a dozen uh, at least have reached out to me personally, just because I talk about them and they, and they assume I'm going to somehow be able to connect them to inductive automation. Inductive automation is the fastest growing IOT platform. They've, taken more market share in the last 12 years than any other platform in the market. And they are the fucking gold standard for an IOT platform in the world. And it is not even open for debate. That's in, in, and I, and anyone who wants to debate me, I, you're welcome to come on and let's have the debate. But in my opinion, it is not even open for debate. Okay. They didn't even show up on the magic quadrant for the IoT platforms for Gartner this year, which is what started this whole fucking thing. Okay. They are not objective. They're not unbiased, but most vendors play the game to convince you to buy their product. What I would argue is if you see someone in the magic quadrant, don't buy their product. Because if you feel like you need to pay Gartner to artificially prop you up in a propaganda document, then that means you're not very convinced that the results from your product are going to get you there on their own. Okay. So ITSM magic quadrant leaders, six years in a row, um, they called you know, ITS or service now, um, tried to say that the Gartner MQ for the ITSM report is an unbiased third party evaluation. <laughs> that is, it is absolutely untrue. It is not unbiased. And it's not a third-party evaluation. The criteria, and here's the best way. Nobody got fired for selecting IBM, and no one changed the world by selecting IBM either. But great point, JP. Um, and by the way, digital transformation is about changing the world. <laughs> it's about changing the world. Um, it is not unbiased. And it's not third party. The best way to describe it is this. Imagine anybody here who's worked in water wastewater. Okay. So that is a water wastewater facility. And as an integrator or whatever, you want to bid on doing some automation work and a, building a SCADA system. Those are technically supposed to be open bids. Okay. If we, if we wanted to say that that scenario, that is the, the, Bidding on a water wastewater project, we wanted to equate that with getting ourselves into a magic quadrant from Gartner. What we would have to do on the water wastewater project is we have to change a couple things. Number one, the person who is writing the RFQ, that is the person at the water wastewater facility who is writing the RFQ, you would have first, you as the integrator would have to pay them for you to consider you. <laughs> number one. And number two, the one who paid them the most is the one who would get the requirements written into the specification, the, the, the RFQ, so that me as the integrator, I'm the one who gets selected. This happens all the time in like municipal jobs. The person who's writing the open bid, the RFP, will put language in the RFP that eliminates all vendors but one. Gartner does the same thing. They modify the, the criteria for the magic quadrant to eliminate all the vendors except for the ones who paid them. That's how it's done. 
And believe me, in the course of my career, I can't tell you. I mean, I remember we were doing this huge dig global digital transformation project and this, this uh, executive came to me and said, hey, we saw PTC landed in this place on Gartner's Magic Quadrant this year. Do you think that maybe we ought to make them a bigger part of our project? And I went, fuck no. Hell no. First off, why are you reading the Magic Quadrant other than to laugh? Like other than to see who's paying to get on there, why are you even fucking reading it? Why are you reading? Why is anyone paying any attention to it? I pay attention to it because I care about messaging. I care about people being successful. And, and if Gartner is going to say shit that's going to confuse people, I'm going to call them out on it. Their get their magic quadrant for IoT platforms is fucking garbage. And we're going to come out. We're going to come out with another one next Tuesday. We'll, we're going to include our magic quadrant in the thumbnail for next Tuesday's podcast. And I'm going to I'm going to show you from our perspective what their magic quadrant should look like, including platforms that aren't on there, like inductive automation. A anybody, anybody who knows anything about IoT platforms knows that if you if in, if ignition is not in your your top 10 list if you're if ignition's not in your list then your list doesn't mean anything okay um and 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 the noise out there is getting louder and louder and louder and so it's really important or the confusion is louder and louder it's important that we stay committed to effective communication and we 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 become a slave to the true definitions of words. Okay, jo um, I want to touch on a couple other things. You know, John, Annabelle, yes, uh, it's pay to play. The article shared by John Forbord in Discord. He uh, he, John Forbord dropped a, a link to an article in Discord saying the problem with how Gartner makes its money: bright work, research, and analysis excerpt a lack of financial bias notice the vast majority of content available on the internet about gartner is marketing fiddle faddle published by vendors who republish reports they paid gartner to publish or magic quadrants they paid Bartner, gartner to score well the it industry is petrified of gartner and only publishes complimentary information about them the article below is very different i am not afraid of gartner i could give a fuck about gartner okay there's nobody who works at gartner who has more money than i do Gartner has more money than I do, but there's no individual who does. So fuck Gartner. Okay. And the reason why is because Gartner does not do a service to the market. Gartner only provides a service to the people who pay them to lie for them. That's it. Okay. Um, and I want to read a couple of comments here. So John Forbord wrote, in um, in Discord, he said, you know, I recently met someone who was working for a big consulting firm and they mentioned that they used the Gartner Magic Quadrant as part of their software evaluation for customers. I may have been naive, but I actually didn't think anyone took those quadrants serious. Me too. I, I, I thought that people had moved away from taking Gartner serious at all. Okay. Um, and then Jink... Sintrince wrote, I think that the whole web interface is overrated for MES. Um, so his basic premise is, I don't like MES systems that use web interfaces. He says, we used to program in Delphi at work for all of the MES functionalities. But two years ago, the management changed their vision using a Gartner visual that Delphi was at end of life and that they needed to shift to .NET, also to easily find new employees if needed. But it is now clear to us that this new road they took wasn't the best choice. All projects take two to three times the budget. And when we delivered a new project in three months, now it takes up to nine months or more. Everything comes back. So I hope that the desktop apps will come back again very soon. Um, the, what he's arguing is, and it's the difference, inductive automation, right? In Ignition, it, 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 it takes significantly more development time to develop in perspective than it does in vision, okay, um, to get the same functionality. And that's because you're using reactive web design in perspective than you do in a 
drag and drop no code mechanism in vision okay although you can it's it basically the base is no code but you can do code but when i looked at the the mes i looked at the mes magic quadrant and the iot magic quadrant and i'm just going to call out the the ones that gartner said were the leaders okay so gartner's magic quadrant for 2022 the leaders for manufacturing execution systems is critical manufacturing aviva ge digital Siemens Digital Industry Software, Rockwell's Automation's Plex, which Rockwell didn't develop Plex, they bought it, uh, IBA Set, and Corber, which is Verum. There are only two platforms on there that belong there, and e all the other ones need to drop off. Eh, let's go two and a half, okay? Uh, number one, um, Verum should be there. Okay, so the Verum by Corber, that, that should be there. Uh, and Plex should be there. It was a good acquisition. It was a smart acquisition by Rockwell Automation. Okay. Um, I would argue that um, I would argue that you could possibly make a, a case for Siemens Digital, the digital industry software. But let's look at challengers. So you've got MPDV, which is for those of you that don't know MPDV, it's basically an offshoot of um, SAP. It was like a group from SAP broke off, moved down the street, and created MPDV, which is like a it's a very manual manufacturing execution system, but it's app driven, um, and it's really it's a good manufacturing execution system for purely native integration into SAP. That's really what it was designed for, and for like um, manual manufacturing. So um, human manufacturing. They got Parsec, they got Tulip, and then they got Dassault. MPDV doesn't even belong on that list at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a great story about MPDV. It's not that it's not a, it's a bad system. It's, it, I, what I would argue is you could look at it for native SAP integration, but it is, it is not, a, it's not, and a manufacturing execution system. Okay. Cause it doesn't even have the core four, but it has some MES capabilities. Parsec belongs on there. Traxxas. So Parsec belongs on there. Tulip belongs on there. Okay. Uh, Dassault doesn't belong there. Um, and then they put Sepasoft in niche players. Okay. Um, which niche? What niche is Cyprusoft in? This is preposterous. <laughs> this quadrant is preposterous. How do they even? How do they even have a, a do that with a straight face? But the real money shot here, the real, is the IoT platforms magic quadrant. Um, this was September of 2021. Didn't they come out with the? We have the new one though, right? Hold on, let me. Uh, uh, shit, where is it? Uh, ba -ba. Oh, there it is right there. Okay. As of September of 2022, um, Scott Kim, who I think he might be at Gartner, um, he wrote, Gartner just published today the Global Industrial IoT Platform Magic Quadrant. It was a monumental effort to get this note published. It was a waste of your fucking time. I mean, it's not worth it. I wouldn't use it for toilet paper. That's how terrible it was. I, it's, it's funny. I, I find it comical that you say it's a monumental effort. It was a complete waste of time, and it does a massive disservice to the community and to the people who read these fucking things. Um, the findings are revealing. So here's who we put in the leaders. IoT platforms. Okay. So Microsoft and Software AG. Under challengers, they put PTC and AWS. Under niche players, Unify Twin, Davia, Envision Digital, uh, Root Cloud, Litmus. Under visionaries, Siemens, ABB, and Hitachi. Okay. Hitachi and ABB are not fucking visionaries. <laughs> they are, those are not visionary IoT platforms. Okay. Um, they will get, 
they will get acquired and gobbled up. Okay. Uh, Siemens belongs there and it belongs in the leaders. Uh, Software AG belongs in the leaders. Microsoft belongs in the challengers. AWS belongs in the leaders. PTC belongs in the niche players. Okay. The criteria that they use to define, they didn't even define an IoT platform correctly. Okay. So, which brings me to my last point. Okay. Uh, getting the definitions of words right, communicating clearly and effectively, so that what we're not doing is confusing people. There's this guy, his name's Giuliano Ligori uh, on LinkedIn. He's the CEO of Kenovi. He says he's a digital transformation leader, innovation manager, board of directors, CIO, Club Italia, member of Exponential Health Tech Community. He's been doing a lot of posting on LinkedIn and the other, and he he's, you know, he's really good at building up his LinkedIn accolades. You know what I mean? So, you know, top 32 digital transformation influencers and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I've probably been picked for two dozen top digital transformation and IOT influencer awards. None of them are on my LinkedIn. I don't put any of them as my honors and my awards. You want to know why? Because I look at the other people they pick and I go, that person's not an influencer. In fact, half the shit they say is going to confuse the market. Half the shit they say is not even right. So you obviously just picked me and put me on there because you want the people who follow me to read your thing. I don't even put that shit on my LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. I, I would be embarrassed to, if I did, by the way, but this guy, he did this post. Okay. And I, and, and I want to, uh, I want to get it right. Giuliano Liguori. I want to invite Giuliano onto the podcast. Sounds like he's probably Italian. Hopefully there won't be a language barrier, but I do want him to come on here and we'll have a conversation. But he did this post about IoT port protocols, okay? And I want to uh, make sure I'm fair to him and I read it exactly the way he uh, he posted it. All right, so he said the communication protocols for IoT. And the reason I'm reading this, IoT, is because what Giuliani is doing here, Giuliano, and what Gartner is doing is is the same shit okay and to and to some respect what luke small said in the are we focused too much on technology is the same thing now luke I, in luke did it in a, in a way that i think is more appropriate where he posed it as a question right he didn't he didn't make a declarative statement that we are focused on technology too much he's asking the community do you think we are right which i believe is the most effective way to do this so but what giuliano did was he posted like a white paper, okay? And that white paper is centered around this definition. The Internet of Things refers to the interconnectedness of physical devices such as sensors, actuators, and other electronic devices through the Internet. The Industrial Internet of Things refers to the application of IoT in industrial environments such as manufacturing plants, oil and gas facilities, and other industrial settings. He goes, there are several protocols that are commonly used for communication in the industrial internet of things. Now, number one, he has the internet, the industrial internet of things defined incorrectly. There are, there's two definitions. There's this theoretical definition, which is we're just going to randomly connect everything together and somehow get value. That's what he's talking about. And that somehow makes you an IIoT, a thing. Okay. You're not a thing if you can't provide value. Okay. If you look at the fact that 80% of digital transformation initiatives fail in their first iteration and that more than 90% of companies are saying that they're not getting value of their digital transformation initiatives, we have to ask them why. And the answer is because they have the wrong strategy, the wrong technology, or the wrong partners. Okay. The problem that a lot of companies faced is they took the theoretical definition and said, oh, we can apply that with any technology like Giuliano is explaining here. So Giuliano lists off, okay, Modbus, OPC UA, uh, LoRaWAN, MQTT, DDS, and AMQP as 
IoT protocols. Okay, which is fucking preposterous. By the way, there is a glaring omission here, and that's DNP3. How did DNP3 not make it on this list? Why is Modbus there? What are what are the standards for IoT protocols? Okay, so I commented. And I said the requirements for qualification as an IoT protocol, they have to be edge driven. That is, the smart thing has to inform, not reply. Inform. Why? Scalability, security, speed. Okay, which is one of the reasons if you pick the wrong technology, why you'll fail in the technology pillar because you can't scale, you're not secure, or you can't get it fast enough. So edge driven report by exception, you need to, if we're going to connect everything into our network infrastructure, we can't all be shouting at one another and everything we put on the wire needs to be of value. So Instead of reporting at some interval a value that didn't change, we're only going to send the exceptions, the things that changed. That goes to scalability and goes to lightweightness. Okay. And the last thing is lightweight open architecture. So lightweight is you got to make sure that the header, the, the, uh, the, the, the initial connections with that protocol don't waste bandwidth. And open architecture means that the protocol itself has to have a standard for informing about the state of the protocol. It has to be open. So one of the biggest problems, inform meaning pub sub as opposed to request response. Yes, poll response. Yes. So the only three in his list that can be IoT protocols are MQTT and AMQP. Obviously, those are both broker technologies. And OPC UA in certain applications of OPC UA. And Matt Paris wrote a great uh, paper on why OPC UA and MQTT don't both serve for, towards interoperability. But in that paper, he talks about the, the, the issues with OPC UA. And there are certain implementations of the OPC UA standard that will get you report by exception from OPC UA, but not all of them. There are certain implementations that will be edge-driven, but not all of them. There are no implementations that are lightweight. Okay. The reason I bring this up is I am seeing, you know, he, he did this follow-up post. And in the follow-up post, he talked about the key components of digital transformation. So you're going to go ahead and send this to your customers. You're trying to sell this to your customers. You digitally transform. And he says the key components are culture, customer experience, data and analytics, an agile mindset, cloud adoption, automation and AI, security, and digital literacy. There's nothing on there about solving problems. There is nothing on there about strategy. There is nothing on there about data becoming your primary commodity. There's nothing on there about making products to get better after you buy them. There's nothing on there that digital transformation is a strategy and not a destination. It is very important that we communicate clearly, concisely, and using common definitions if we don't want to confuse the market. So I do want to invite Giuliano to come on here. Also, Scott Kim from, I, I think he's from Gartner, or maybe he was just passing it on because I called out Scott, because I called out Giuliano. If they want to come on the podcast, defend and have a conversation, happy to have it. Seems like Giuliano's super accomplished. I know Scott Kim really is. I, I don't disrespect those guys in any way, shape, or form, but that doesn't change the fact that they're ineffectively communicating and using the wrong definitions for words. Moreover, Gartner ought to be a fucking ashamed of themselves. Ought to be ashamed of themselves. And what the market needs to do. How do you fix Gartner? The market has got to communicate up the chain of command in your organization. We have got to stop listening to Gartner. We have got to stop listening to Gartner. Our choices need to be based on results. Our choices need to be based on values. Our choices need to be based on foundational principles. First principles. Okay.
All right, jo- uh, Josh, any comments I need to questions I need to answer before we call it a day? Yep, Tesla Warp ERP. Elon ditched all the off-the-shelf ERP and MES systems and built their own. Yep, in 2013. Guess what they started with? They started with Ignition to build. Uh, great conversation, Annabelle. Thank you, Annabelle. Considering first principles thinking, maybe there needs to be an alignment on the vocab, define architecture, define technology. Some folks tend to conflate the two terms. Yes, very good. Um. Walker, I wonder what is the relation between the industrial IoT platforms and the UNS architecture? Uh, all the ones I highlighted can plug into a UNS. That is, they can be a node or they can manage the UNS. Let, let me say one other thing that I didn't. Right now, inductive automation is the fastest growing IoT platform. You know, they're the gold standard. Okay. The other two companies that I think two and a half the other uh, let's go three and a half the other three and a half companies that i think are are big movers okay number one tulip but depending upon the direction tulip goes tulip has a shit ton of potential um number two high bite uh, high bite is going to grow faster than any other uh platform and solution in the industry 4.0 market everything they're they're doing everything right they're every decision every every new release is providing the exact features that they need at the exact moment i mean you know tony Payne and the 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 folks at high bite they know what they're doing aaron semley is doing an outstanding job as the cio or cto leading up development like high bite is a major major they're going to be a major fucking player the question is you know are they going to, are they positioning for acquisition? I don't know. They've never, I've never asked them the question, but you know, if they get acquired by somebody, then does that just go down the, the tubes or are they going to stay independent? Um, number three is frameworks. Um, um, frameworks by Tatsoft, obviously. Uh, John Forboard, any comments on the Canary's new pricing? Love it. They're doing their uh, so for those of you that don't know, we we commented on it, John. Um, <clears throat> I think at the beginning of December, maybe end of November in the podcast. Um, they're moving towards the ignition model for pricing. And uh, I think it's the the right it, it's still a little confusing, but it's the right move. Um litmus automation, but I don't have confidence that litmus is going to end up being independent. Um, and then Sorba AI, Sorba IoT. Those are all, but Highbyte of, of the group, that four group right there, Tulip and Highbyte have the most potential. It really depends on what Tulip's goals are for the market. But I want to make sure I touched on that because I'd given Ductive Automation a lot of credit. But I, if there's any platform I'm incredibly impressed with, the one I'm most impressed with in the market, it's Highbyte. Uh, Ryan Mains, I think that that is what he meant by that point. Pub sub, inter-process communication, IPC style. Yes. Um, let me do one last. All right, that's it. All right. I, uh, appreciate everybody this week. Uh, hit like subscribe, hit the bell. Um, and, um, let me know what you guys thought about today. I suspect this podcast is going to get shared all over Gartner. Um, and, uh, We'll talk about it again next week.